This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 90 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Crazy, we're already hitting the big 9-0, Nick. We're about 10 episodes away from uh, the century mark, if you will. Wait, and, uh, wait, who's, wait, guess who's back? Back again? Yeah, well, <laughs> I was getting there. I was just about getting there <laughs> so much. Um, I was going to say it's good to have you back, but I don't know anymore now. Um, nonetheless, uh, Nick Max, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Uh, excited for what is in store and excited to talk some Huskies hockey, the men's team uh, back in action against North Dakota. We've got a great recap coming up on that. Women's hockey, uh, a nail biter of a weekend and a tough pair of losses for them against Bemidji State. Uh, the Minnesota Wilds somehow keep winning hockey games. Um, and I shouldn't say somehow, they they have a legitimate team this year. I think, I think it's fair to say that um, thus far. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, not only the Minnesota wild, but what is going on around the NHL thus far, you know, kind of our thoughts uh, on the landscape of the league. And uh, other than that, I think, why don't we start off with some Huskies illustrated uh, weekly roundup stuff and the center ice view news and notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Center Ice View news and notes here, Noah. And of course, as we discussed before, the men's hockey had a great weekend at home against North Dakota. Probably a, uh, a score that I don't think anybody would have thought would have come through. Eight to one throttling on Friday. Uh, started going 18 seconds into the hockey game. 12 players registering a point. Easton Brzezinski with his first career hat trick, which is sort of weird to think about. Uh, yeah. You know, that Easton Brodzinski, eight career multi-goal um, games and not won a hat-trick until last night. Uh, Reddick was outstanding, only allowing one goal. Um, St. Cloud State, which had a cold power play, finally able to tally three times. Um, and, of course, we talked Brodzinski before, four points in the hockey game as well. Uh, Saturday, unable to repeat the same success, although they did start out pretty similar, 17 seconds into the hockey game. 
uh, getting on the board, but it was North Dakota that took control of the game, um, able to win five to three in regulation with the uh, split in the series. Uh, Kyler Kuka does get a goal both Saturday and on Friday night. Jack Peart, four points on the weekend. Fitzgerald continues his hot point streak, five points on the weekend. And Nick Perbix, um, not to be outdone, six points on the weekend from the defenseman and Tampa Bay Lightning draft pick. So uh, pretty impressive for the men's hockey team. Uh, now 10 and six overall, four and four in conference play. Uh, still six points back of North Dakota um, in that first place position, but only halfway through. And the next time that the Huskies will hit the ice will be uh, December 31st, 26 days uh, from now uh, when they host Bemidji State. Um, actually, I apologize, Noah. It's a home and home uh, in Bemidji Friday on New Year's Eve and then back at the Herb um, for Saturday on New Year's Day. Um, for their first action after the holiday break. Yeah, it should be a good one. Uh, you know, the hockey team, identical five and three records on the home and, uh, at home and on the road. So we'll have to see if that can improve, like you mentioned, with the home and home. Uh, fourth place currently in the NCHC actually tied for third with Denver. So it really could have been a, a tighter <clears throat> grouping, if you will, uh, had they been able to pull out that win against North Dakota on Saturday. But like you mentioned, you know, a power play goal and a shorthanded goal, three straight tallies uh, in the middle of that hockey game for North Dakota that allowed them to get that win. And uh, yeah, we'll discuss more, but uh, a pretty exciting weekend of hockey, I think, for Huskies hockey fans. Uh, moving on to some women's hockey. The women's hockey team was also back in action at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. A uh, pair of nail-bounding losses. Speaking of Bemidji State, uh, that's who the women's team had. Uh, the two teams continue to be a good matchup for each other. Uh, the Huskies owning a 5-4-1 and one record in their last 10 games against the Beavers. So it's definitely been a close matchup as of late between the two squads. Let's start on Friday. Four to three regulation loss was the finish. Taylor Lind tallied twice. Olivia Savar found the back of the net as well in the loss. Uh, the Huskies carried a two to one lead in the third period. They surrendered three straight goals. Unfortunately, in this one, uh, six different Huskies had assists. St. Cloud was over three on the power play, and netminder Emma Paluzmi. Emma Paluzny stopping 25 of 29 in the loss. Uh, Sonia Hola, sophomore netminder, got the call on Saturday. Uh, a much tighter finish for the group. Two to one overtime loss um, with the Beavers. They clung on to a one nothing lead that they earned in the first period until about midway through period number three or so. Emma Gentry converting from Menina Newland and Taylor Lynn for the only goal for the Huskies on the power play uh, in period number three. Unfortunately, the power play was going to be the demise of the Huskies as well, too. 326 in overtime for Bemidji State on the man advantage or woman advantage, if you will, um, that would cap off the weekend. St. Cloud was one for five on the power play while the Beavers were one for six on the evening. So 11 penalties in that hockey game compared to four on Friday night, a much different look uh, on the second night. Like you mentioned, Sonia Hola, 27 of 29 saves for her. And St. Cloud State actually outshot Bemidji State in game number two. The women's team dropping to 6-9-1 on the season and 2-9-1 in conference play. pair of games pushed the team to 4-3-1 at home. The Huskies do head to Mankato next weekend to play on the weekend where they look to remedy that 2-6 record on the road um, away from the Granite City. So the women's hockey team, uh, a lot of good signs for them, but uh, standings-wise, a tough weekend, unfortunately, in the results column. They look to get back at it against the Mavericks. Yeah, the, the women's team, uh, no, I had I definitely had a chance to catch the women's teams on both nights uh, prior to the men's. And uh, just uh, it, some tough breaks, sure, but you, you can definitely tell that they're squeezing their sticks pretty tight. Um, just, you know, also taking 
some some not great penalties. We talked about Saturday and the overtime. Uh, there were actually two penalties. They had a five on. They could have actually had a five on three um, for a little bit uh, you know, there in overtime. But uh, Bemidji actually possessed the puck for almost 45 seconds to uh, uh, to essentially on the delayed call. So they had one in theory, but not in practice. Um, so just uh, not a great finish to the weekend for the women. So it's unfortunate for them. Speaking of more fortunate news of the Minnesota wild uh, for better, for worse. And I know, uh, Noah, the fans maybe have a little bit of uh, maybe some thoughts about this, but the team announced they're going to retire. Number nine, Miko Koivu's number will be raised to the rafters uh, in March of this season. Um, this will be the first ever Jersey retirement in franchise history. Uh, 15 seasons for Capfin, as he was uh, affectionately called. Um, and he was, uh, I actually say, a captain for 11 of his 15 seasons. Um, all-time leader in games played. All-time leader in assists. Um, also a club of best 709 points, Noah. Um, represented Finland 14 times on the international stage, um, also captaining the country's World Cup of Hockey squad back in 2016. Um, he was drafted sixth overall by the club back in 2001, if you can believe that, just a year after their franchise um, inception. And, uh, you know, and what a what a way for this team has been having. I know we're going to discuss the Minnesota Wild more in depth later on, but I uh, uh, was it now uh, five, uh, five or six, six wins now. now. Yeah. After uh, they uh, defeated Toronto um, in, uh, in a shootout four to three um, and, and probably should have uh, probably been a little bit better. They were off to a three nothing uh, lead yeah. in that game before Toronto clawed back. But uh, some some pretty good news if you're a, a Mika Koivu fan and for Minnesota, um, some, a good team to be around in the NHL right now. Yeah. Um, and are we shocked that Toronto was able to uh, score a couple of goals in that hockey game somewhere? Uh, very offensively bit. powerhouse teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some guy named Austin Matthews. Um, uh, anyway, speaking of National Hockey League news, only a couple more topics to get around here. Uh, and speaking around the rest of the NHL, quite a few transactional moves this past week, a little bit of player movement, uh, signings, things like that. Let's start in New Jersey, shall we? Devils forward Jack Hughes returned after a 17 game absence. One of those first games was actually against the Minnesota Wild. Um, and around the same time, also earning a prompt eight-year, $64 million extension for him, kind of uh, um, betting on the future signing for the Devils. He hasn't really produced, I think, to the level that New Jersey fans have expected, but he also does have a pretty bright future ahead of himself. Uh, in Chicago, goaltender Malcolm Subban, he was sent to Buffalo for future considerations. Buffalo kind of wheeling and dealing with their goaltending um, carousel, if you will. And Montreal nabbing 23-year-old defenseman Kyle Clegg from waivers. Uh, five points in 11 games for him for the Kings actually a pretty, I think, sneaky little pickup for Montreal, if anything, adding some depth on the back end. Uh, but uh, that's not the big story in Montreal, Nick, as we know. General manager news started about seven days prior. Assistant general manager Scott Mellonby resigned early last week, and we kind of wondered if there was more coming with it. And then the big bomb did drop. Mark Bergevin was released for his uh, tenure as general manager after holding the position since 2012. During that time, uh, six of his nine subsequent full seasons, he made the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, and reached the finals, of course, last year, as we know, losing to the Lightning and an Eastern Conference final appearance in 2013-14. What's up, Nick? What do you got? So interesting with the Montreal news, I don't know if folks listen to the Steve Dangle podcast, but it sounds like Elliot Friedman is actually the one that started this whole uh, sort of waterfall uh, of firing. So um, before uh, Scott Mellonby resigned, 
Um, for those who don't know, he was actually in negotiations with Montreal um, and uh, Jeff Molson, again, the owner of Montreal, uh, to be the next general manager. It was um, somebody that it was recommended by Mark Bergevin. And then when uh, it was made word by Elliot Friedman um, as with one tweet <laughs> that, hey, Jeff Gordon is uh, in negotiations and intervening with Jeff Molson to possibly become the next GM of the Montreal Canadiens. Mm. Let's just say Scott Mellenby didn't uh, like that very much. So he essentially resigned a few days later after hearing of that development. Um, I'm not sure if he felt like maybe it was going to be gift wrapped to him, but uh, that was, as you mentioned, about a week prior. And then um, as things started to unravel, that's when Mark Bergevin and others were departed, um, you know, in that organization. So, uh, you know, you can blame uh, 31 thoughts if you'd like for uh, getting that ball rolling up in Montreal. Yeah. Well, Nick, when you left the podcast for three weeks, we thought about replacing you, but uh, we're happy to have you back. You should, because, you should have, honestly. Well, <laughs> we're happy because of information like that. Uh, and I think that assistant general manager, Trevor Timmons and senior VP of communication, Paul Wilson, who are also released are looking around uh, at Scott Melby going, Hey, we liked our jobs, but nonetheless, like you mentioned, Jeff Gordon, former New York Rangers general manager, he's executive vice president of hockey ops for now. And the team actually uh, has begun its search for a new general manager. They haven't named one yet. Um, and the team stated that Bergevin's successor must be able to speak both English and French. One name that's already been in the ring, Nick, uh, Patrick Watt. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see no. the fit either. I agree with you. No. Um, but yeah, Nick, only a couple more topics here. So uh, uh, what do you got for us? So a few more news around the NHL, and there's one that we left out, and maybe that'll be for um, the, the uh, a little bit later, just because I have some inside information on uh, the team, the desert. So maybe we'll save on that one. Uh, but Evander Kane uh, being sent down to the minors um, after you know he's essentially got a 21 game ban for uh, essentially pro providing uh, a fake COVID-19 uh, vaccination card. Uh, now, he did get vaccin uh, vaccinated during uh, the time of suspension, um, and then he was placed on waivers uh, and was sent to the San Jose Barracuda. Now, for those um, who follow the NHL, it's very common for most players when you're signed um, or at some point in your young career to be in the minors at least a couple of times for your development, also just to make sure that you're playing and, you know, growing as a player. Um, Evander King has never played a game in the American Hockey League. So it, it is a storyline um, to know that a player of his caliber, and I think that's one thing, Noah, that often gets missed, is Evander King is still a very gifted offensive hockey player. And, you know, the, it's him not ever playing in the minors, meaning he's never had to, I suppose, in the eyes of most NHL teams, mind you, he's been around the league a little bit, um, never needed to go down and, and essentially prove himself or regain himself. So it's, this is pretty big news down. Um, and uh, also in, on top of that, also uh, we're hearing that, again, the San Jose Sharks are shopping Evander Kane, apparently. So there are some Eastern Conference teams that are in the mix. And the rumor is um, that the San Jose Sharks are, um, willing to eat half of a salary, which is the most you can under the current CBA um, to trade away a player. Um, you can yeah. only retain up to half of a salary. So uh, yeah, and again, part the saga of, continues. Yeah. And part of that, you know, goes back to, as you mentioned, in addition to sending down the AHL, there's been some displeasure with his conduct with a bunch of guys at the NHL level, which is funny because he was actually asked about that last week, you know, and he commented on that alleged displeasure, you know, of his teammates and said, you know, quote, news to me and it's like oh like okay evander well, that's, anyway. that's not unsurprising <laughs> yeah well, i mean honestly if, if you if it's news to you 
that means it's not news to everybody else, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, it, there's, there's been multiple reports of that. Noah, as you know, um, the athletic has covered that extensively. And if you want a, a deep dive into, um, what's been happening over the last few months and maybe even nine months, I would say, um, go check out, uh, I believe Kevin Kurtz is the San Jose beats writer for the athletic. He's been doing a phenomenal job, um, on that reporting. Uh, let's go back uh, out east of Pittsburgh because uh, this is a little bit of bigger news too. Uh, Fenway Sports Group, uh, they own the Boston Red Sox. They own Liverpool, um, uh, which is a soccer team. I think maybe we've heard of them, just maybe. <laughs> um, they have signed an agreement to purchase um, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, so uh, we don't know the specifics of the deal, um, the purchase price, anything like that. Um, but they expect the sale to close by the end of the year. Um, uh, mind you, this still has to be league approved. Um, mind you, previous majority owners were uh, Ron Burkle and Mario Lemieux, which, I mean, think about this, Noah, back, I think, early 2000s, 2000s, 2003, there was either talk of contraction or moving the team out of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, and you can almost say single-handedly, Sidney Crosby probably saved that franchise, along with Mario Lemieux, who uh, purchased the team. They got the new arena out there, uh, which at the time was Pittsburgh Paints now. Uh, no, Pittsburgh Paints Arena now, formerly Console Energy Center. So um, I, there's still some talk that, you know, what this new group might do. Um, but I will tell yeah. you this. Uh, you, at, you, go, at, you, you go backwards, by the way. It was Mellon Arena. Even before it was Console Energy Center, yeah. So, um, but I mean, good to see that ownership group, that senior management, you know, staying in place for the Penguins. It's a good, uh, good sign, like you mentioned, for this organization. So, it's a good sign knowing that um, these larger conglomerates. Now, mind you, we can have a whole different discussion about those, but it sounds like the Pittsburgh Penguins have a financial. Um, pretty much a deep rooted uh, spot. And I don't think they're going to be uh, in any financial trouble, uh, you know, at least anytime soon. So that's great to see. Um, lastly, um, we talk about some players uh, that may be faces of the franchise or maybe once uh, Ryan Getzlaff of the Anaheim Ducks. So week to week with a lower body injury, uh, the New York Rangers, um, Igor Shesterkin was placed in injured reserve. And then Los Angeles is Brandon Lemieux um, suspended five games for biting the hand. Um, <laughs> Well, supposedly once by the NHL, but that's total BS. Um, I would say at least three times from what we can see uh, during an altercation last Saturday as those two have had quite the history going even back to juniors um, uh, between him and Matthew Kachuk was the, uh, sorry, Brady Kachuk, I apologize. So um, that was a game against the Ottawa Senators. So uh, uh, trying to uh, yeah, send a message to the NHL and unfortunately still even the Department of Player Safety can't get this one right when there's clear bite marks keyword marks plural all over his hand so yeah definitely one of those things that uh yeah a little bit odd in the hockey world the guy was just a bit hungry apparently taking some brad marsh marshan lessons apparently or or um who is it alexander alexander burroughs all those years ago but nonetheless like you mentioned the department of player safety can't see the bite bite marks but we've got a lot to chew on here so we're going to head on to the main portion of the show uh did you like that one nick were you, were you did, proud yes <laughs> that was good for sunday morning <laughs> i think the fans will too so let's head on over Welcome in episode number 90, Nick Maxson uh, to my left. If you're watching the YouTube, myself, Noah Grant on the right-hand side, wherever you're watching or listening to podcasts. Although if you're listening to the podcast, we are not right next to you. Uh, we're in your ears. Anyway, 
that got really weird. Um, so let's just go right into trivia. What do you think, Nick? Just kidding. How are you doing? Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back after about a month. Um, you know, how are things going for you? And what are you looking forward to this month? We have, a, by the way, we have a weird scheduling too, where we're going to be talking, I think, a lot of NHL hockey uh, with your return because the men's team, uh, they're off after this week for a bit. So, yeah. Um, some and uh, I mentioned there's uh, some Arizona developments, and I think the story they're not going to Houston. Is- <laughs> I will tell you this. There is some truth to what's being reported, but it's not the way that it's being presented. I don't think it's accurate. We'll talk on that later. All right. Um, Houston, Houston we'll, arrows, bring it back. Right. Um, no, but you know, last month, it, it's a weird time, Noah, honestly. Um, it's, it was a great for my development and getting uh, into some connections, also having some uh, phone interviews and, you know, really just trying to get a head start on what's next. Um, for those who uh, maybe don't know this, you know, well, broadcasting in general, I would say um, it is a very competitive business. And it's one of those, especially in the world of sports, um, it's even more competitive. And so you, you always try to get an upper hand. And even though I'm graduating at May, you, you have to start looking early. Um, there's just no way around it. Um, and so, you know, trying to put some feelers out, uh, doing some massaging again, had some, had some phone calls. Um, and we'll kind of see, uh, what happens after that. It's a little early to, you know, essentially go into, uh, some actual like talks with a lot of these folks that I I've had conversations with, but again, you're laying the groundwork and essentially that's what I was doing in November. And, uh, uh, for future reference, Noah, and for the listeners out there, uh, most likely will happen again at some point. Um, don't know when that's going to be, but, um, you know, you, you got to go where, uh, you know, I suppose, you know, the phone calls come. So, and uh, I expect those to start coming in more as we probably flip the calendar year, um, um, after we get past uh, the, the holidays and into, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the cold winter months here in the Midwest, but, um, uh, it's exciting. It's a little scary, but, uh, here we go. You know, this is, this is what you work so hard for is to get to this point and uh, happy to be in this position. Yeah. And obviously not giving anything away, but you and I, with our internal discussions, let me just say there's some pretty cool things cooking for Mr. Max. And I'm just going to put it to you that way. So um, speaking of cool things, uh, men's hockey, uh, they scored a lot of goals on Friday night. And that was the subject of our trivia question, Nick. Uh, we're going to talk some women's hockey first. So, uh, um, but I do want to go to the trivia question since it's here in front of us last night, St. Cloud state men's hockey, they stunned North Dakota eight to one on that Friday night, the same score during the two clubs first ever meeting back in 1947. It was a Huskies win eight to one there. When is the last time St. Cloud state put up an eight spot on North Dakota? You have any idea, Nick? I have it's 1998. Uh-uh. He, tried, he tried. He <laughs> tried. Was that 98 or 95 or I uh, can we go with November 2nd, 2001? Uh an eight, an eight to four win on home ice. Fight the pants was our winner. Um St. Cloud State Huskies men's hockey has put up seven goals on the University of North Dakota four times since 1947. Now, mind you, um, I, I think what I had was in what I had was it was the last time North Dakota lost by seven. Ah, that was in 98. That was to Minnesota Duluth. So what was it? Um, North Dakota and St. Cloud state. There's actually been, I think it's been five or six times that there have been eight goals scored by a team in a game. It just happens that four of those have not actually gone the Huskies way back historically. Most of them kind of in the nineties. There's one, I believe in 2011, 2010, something like that was the last kind of big one. The Huskies lost uh, to North Dakota, but nonetheless, a, a great weekend for them on Friday. Um, 
you know, maybe we'll flip the show today. Why don't we? Why don't we start with some men's hockey and then we'll finish up with some women's hockey. Let's have some fun here. It was a wild ride for the men's hockey team this weekend. Uh, you know, like we had mentioned, uh, the special teams continues to click offensively. Um, although on Friday, looked a little bit better than Saturday. That shorthanded goal um, given up on Saturday was really tough. You know, and, and talking about that play, I know that I know that a lot of people, you know, were on the line change and, and they kind of, they kind of talked about it as a lackadaisical play. The, the, the thing, yes and no. Um, I guess we're starting there. The first thing I want to point out is that if you're coming off a line change and you have a single forward who's four checking shorthandedly against you, I know that, you're kind of floating down and knowing that if you're not going to win that foot race off of the change, you're going to protect the middle of the ice. That's where the breakdown was. It wasn't necessarily the change and winning the foot race to the puck battle. The rule is anytime someone picks up a puck against you, especially, you know, on the outside of the rink, they're coming to the middle of the ice and everyone who watched hockey knew what Gavin Hayne was going to do. So there were, two groups at fault. The first was the defensive core, knowing that they had to shut that play down right at the top of the crease, just coming through and ma- making him stay on the short side. And secondly, um, one of the few soft goals we've seen from David Rennick this year. And the reason I say that is because Gavin Hain, the angle at which he took was so tight that that's one of those plays that usually as a player, you expect a goaltender to have a paddle down there and it becomes or very difficult. Check. Exactly. For you to, for you to come through, you're going to have to make a really nice play. Not that it wasn't a nice play by Gavin Hain, very good, tenacious play, but a little bit too easy on that goal. And then they added, you know, the power play goal earlier in the game to get them on the board at one, one. And um, you talk about that power play goal for North Dakota on Saturday, Nick, that was probably one of the biggest goals of the weekend for North Dakota, just to really settle down the ship after, you know, a a jump start again for the Huskies on Saturday. Let's start uh, with the overall collective weekend, you know, the theme, and then we'll kind of dive in. Nick, what, what do the Huskies take away from this weekend, you know, after having a total asking for lack of a better term on Friday night and then a North Dakota team who guess what they responded and they responded well on Saturday. Well, first let's recharacterize Friday. Was it really an ass kicking or was it, you know, that the team never, and I say the team, I mean, North Dakota, I don't think they really ever got settled in uh, when you're scored on 18 seconds in. And then four minutes later, you're down to nothing. Brad Barry called this timeout five minutes into the hockey game. And then you give up a penalty, a power play goal to Easton Brodzinski. You're down three rip um, pretty much halfway through the first period. Um, you make a goaltending change. Um, that's not a reflection, uh, a reflection on Zach Driscoll at all. We saw that again on Saturday, uh, why that wasn't his fault. Sorry, Huskies fans. But um, it, to me, this, this Friday was, was more of a perfect storm. It was every bounce went the Huskies way. And for North Dakota, that never really, to me, got settled into that hockey game. I just think that, you know, that early goal, you know, there's two ways that those goal that those kinds of goals uh turn a game either you know you can respond which they did on saturday and it becomes just blase or it lays a red carpet and unfortunately friday the red carpet came out and everybody joined in on the offensive party for the huskies um not to take anything away from st cloud state but i think that was i've watched a lot of north dakota games between you know how they played around and the huskies that was the worst i've ever seen to play yeah. And uh, that's, and that's, worst. and that's where, like, if you're asking the question, I, I mean, I think it was simply on the basis that when is the last time, and this is not a discredit to St. Cloud State, this is a credit to how good North Dakota usually is, no matter where they are. When is the last time you've seen North Dakota, like you mentioned, win every foot race and totally like 
dominate and control that game. I mean, like their transitional speed was exceptional. They were entering the zone with depth. And like you said, North Dakota didn't get settled in, but it just, uh, and maybe it was a perfect storm frustration carrying over from the Western Michigan weekend. But I mean, it was just like, you know, regardless of the score, it felt like the Huskies just suffocated a North Dakota team that it's been a long time since we've seen the Huskies do that for, you know, long stretches like that. But anyway, continue. And then Saturday, you know, against, so not 18 seconds in, but 17 seconds into the hockey game. And uh, as you mentioned, you, you almost, you know, for North Dakota, they needed that next goal for sure. There's not a question yeah. about it. Um, um, I, I can only imagine what was going through Brad Berry's head after um, that first goal yesterday on Saturday. Um, again, giving it up so early. Um, but again, you know, his team was um, on their toes instead of being on their heels on Saturday. Um, Huskies looked a step slow as well. Um, from what I hear, there there's actually about half the players that are going through either like of the flu or some other illness too. And you could, you could almost see that in hindsight. Um, Cause even when I watched the game, I'm like the Huskies just don't look the same team. They don't look like they're playing at a hundred percent. There's also some injuries that are play, that players are playing through. Now, mind you halfway through the year, you kind of expect that. So it's really no excuse, um, but the flu that's big. Cause that takes a lot of energy. That takes a lot of yep. wind out of your sails. Um, unfortunately, yeah, this and sloppiness too. Um, there is a pretty concerning trend for the Huskies and it, it keeps happening. We, we mentioned this against Western Michigan, way too many penalties. So uh, this uh, team, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, that, that turning point in the game, you, we mentioned that first goal by North Dakota. How about the fact that you have all the momentum in the world and Seamus Donahue takes a slash, you know, 10 seconds after that. And that's, you know, Seamus just happened yeah. to be the one that take it. But I mean, your thoughts on that, what's got to change there for that group? Cause that's a turning point. Well, first of all, again, especially in this conference, right? And it doesn't matter who you're playing. If you give a team seven power plays, eventually they're going to make you pay. Now, North Dakota only capitalized on one of them. But as you mentioned, Noah, when you are uh, a, a head coach of, a, of any hockey team, when you are constantly on the penalty kill, there's players that are offensively gifted that are sitting on the bench that you're not putting out there in those situations. Brett Larson, the way he likes to roll four lines, you can't do that. You're not putting out your fourth line guys um, on the penalty kill. So it, you, you shorten your bench and, uh, you know, it just it kind of messes up your entire game flow. And you talk about momentum, whether you believe in it or not. Um, I think the Huskies really, you know, kind of got stalled. They're a team that likes to play, you know, with the, you know, the clock ticking. They're not a team that likes to play stop and go hockey. Um, and again, you know, the, the disciplinary things you're shooting yourself from the foot. So I think if there's anything that I want to see this team really focus on, uh, and really just be smarter, it's just, you gotta be smarter, honestly. Mm. Um, they're giving their opponents way too many opportunities, either a, to get back in the hockey game or two, uh, to essentially put some distance between the two. And that's just not a winning formula. Uh, if you're going to take that exact sort of approach, uh, come the second half of the season, because at that point, teams are going to be better. Um, and that means their special teams are going to be better, both power play and penalty kill. Um, so that means, you know, you want to keep your team at five on five. Um, so the more they can do that, uh, the better off they'll be. Yeah. And we had the discussion, you know, on the soda pod last week. And again, it was a lot of fun jumping on you, uh, uh, jumping on with you, I should say. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, um, uh, on the show with you and you can edit that one out. It's fine. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll keep it because people need to know what really goes on at the Huskies Warming House podcast. Anyway. So um, uh, speaking of what's really going on, though, I've got a couple questions here. What we had mentioned in the show was that you thought five on five was going to be the factor this weekend. I thought special teams is going to be the factor. I think it's fair to say both of them definitely were, um, you know, but obviously three power play goals for the Huskies on Friday. And as you mentioned, Saturday was the first time that we really saw a bunch of lapses on the penalty kill for the Huskies group here. And that's because, um, and I suppose in the power play too, but you know, that's probably why some of these issues with penalties have been mitigated is the penalty kill was at 90% entering the weekend. It has looked very good for the Huskies and it does shore up some of those things. Micah Miller has kind of had his coming out party this year in terms of defensive play uh, on the penalty kill. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask about another player too, and we'll get to him in a second, but let's start. Was special teams a difference this weekend or was it special teams in addition to more of the five on five play that kind of led to that for the Huskies, as you alluded to last week? So I think I think Friday it's a tale of two different games. Obviously, I think uh, their five-on-five play um, definitely helped to generate you know the advantage on the uh, you know the power play special teams on Friday, and because they weren't great five-on-five on Saturday, that's when you take those stick infractions. That's when you're on the you know the the opposite end of those special teams. And as we mentioned before, in North Dakota, the fact that you gave them seven opportunities and yet they only score once kind of miracle, honestly. So a little bit of a testament to the Huskies PK. Uh, but again, take away one power play goal uh, from North Dakota. That is a one goal hockey game um, and also a shorthanded goal. That's a tie hockey game. And, you know, again, that shorthanded goal is going to make Brett Larson uh, continue to lose uh, more hair than he already has. Um, so you know, I, I, get Brett. I know, right. So, <laughs> and mind you, we love Brett too, so I can give him a little bit of crap, but yeah. you know, it's, it's those, lapses in judgment um uh on the special teams too that you know again you're you're just you're setting yourself up to to rely too much on it that's when it can you know kind of bite you so so uh, so was it was it fair to say the five on five play was a little better this weekend or do you feel like you know still more stepping stones to you know it was there was an improvement but again you know i think you still you still need to be better um you know again you know you these penalties are happening most of them at five on five and more importantly, they're happening in very interesting areas of the ice too. A lot of these are happening in the neutral zone um, away from the puck. Um, again, you know, I hate to throw uh, a couple of players under the bus, but uh, with Easton, man, um, there's, there's times when uh, I think the frustration, the emotions, just gets to him. Uh, Yami Krenel at the end of the hockey game um, also took a kind of a bad cross check. You know, granted, I know that um, the North Dakota players know David Rennick, but you know, there's, there's a different way and a more smart way where, you know, that's probably a power play for the Huskies. If you can play that card correctly. And unfortunately it was end up being a matching penalties. So, but I get it. You're trying to protect your goaltender, but again, you talk about playing smart. Um, I just feel like this Husky team needs to play a little bit smarter um, yeah. as we enter 2022. Yeah. We talked about Seamus Donahue's penalty. That one was away from the play too. that slash as well too. So yes, like a difference, as you had mentioned, I've got three questions, two quick ones about players and then an overall question for you. First, I, I, I'll put the player questions together. One, uh, speaking of coming out parties, how about Kyler Kuka this weekend? One, one of the, the, I don't want to say the few bright spots, but a guy I thought who was consistent both nights and really kind of came into his no own, not only on the score sheet, but really, you know, a guy who has been up and down the lineup, you know, in his Huskies career. I think he really had a lot of jump this weekend and looked very well. Um, 
uh, in both games. And then uh, I, can we talk about um, speaking of uh, finish four that you had mentioned some sports center thingamajigger that went on, <laughs> uh, uh, fill the listeners in Nick. Uh, whoa. Uh, the Michigan is what we're calling that the Michigan. Um, Unreal. I mean, seriously, I don't know what words describe that other than I think what separates this play from a lot of the plays that we've seen um, get highlighted is this was all done in stride at speed. This yeah. wasn't, you know, and speed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was, there, there was a, a puck battle behind the net to the left of uh, the North Dakota goaltender Helston. Uh, the puck comes loose. He picks it up and mind you as a defender in that situation who was on that post, I don't think, you know, especially when he's in stride, you know, you're kind of thinking two plays, either you're looking for a pass to come to the slot. Um, mm-hmm. You're also maybe he's going to bank it off the boards to the D. Um, and then all of a sudden he takes a step out. The puck is already on his blade up and he just whips it. I mean, I, just your eyes are trained for that. Like, yeah. And, um, and, just, and you, and you talk about the piece too, where like, um, you know, the defense was not expecting it. This was not, you know, the Sveshnikov play where he stopped behind the net set up and then took two strides and stepped to, towards the cage. He did it at speed, like you had mentioned, but he was pretty far out in terms of doing the Michigan where he really was extended the full length. So that also doesn't key you in to think, oh, well, this guy's coming <laughs> to the cage, right? So, right. So it's it's not one of those where he was in tight to the net and you, you kind of can put a, maybe a body on the stick or try to, you know, protect it. He didn't really sell it. He was actually coming out in front. It was uh, a pretty brilliant play, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. It reminds me almost of Mikhail Granlin's uh, lacrosse style goal that he did uh, was either the, the Worlds or uh, it could have been also uh, um, the Olympics. I forget which one. I and mean, he was a younger player back in the time. But uh, kind of the same thing was that he was in stride. And uh, this one, I think the puck was on a stick even before he went behind the net. So I think there's a little bit more of a, I suppose, a giveaway to what he was doing. But Holy cow, Crandall. And then I think what makes me laugh was the celebration just, yeah. eh, you know, all right. You know, that's, you know, it's just, it's insane. And his, his, his post-game comments, if you didn't get a chance to check those out, they're, they're pretty funny. It's just, um, it's one of those plays, I think, as, as hockey players, you practice it. And, and I think 99.9% of the time, Noah, it just never clicks to actually try it in a game. It's one of those just kind of fun, stick handling sort of skill development pieces. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you felt the confidence and I don't know if just, or maybe just something snapped and he just did it. And another being um, a goal that uh, the Huskies uh, will never forget. He won't forget. And certainly this fan base won't forget for a long time. And uh, how about that? You know, it's been, uh, you could call it some sports center goals against North Dakota. I remember a couple of years ago, but the Ralph Ryan paling between yeah. the legs. Um, so uh, some of these more memorable goals have come against the fighting Hawks. So uh, something for Huskies fans to chew on there. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of good signs for this group. Like I mentioned, Kyler Kupka had a great weekend, uh, back-to-back goals. Hopefully he continues that trend as well and good to see contributions up and down the lineup. So that's my final question. Uh, we got about five minutes left in the main portion of the show. So we are going to flip to some women's hockey quickly, but my final question, you're Brett Larson and the coaching staff, you know, you've got some time off. You're going to get some rest. Uh, what do you, again, what do you take away from this weekend and what is your message to the guys uh, before holiday break and heading into Bemidji state? Uh, a lot of positives, obviously. Um, you know, you, you had a chance to to take down uh, the number one team, the NCHC, um, but also you're still praising and still pushing the fact that you know this is not going to be an easy road. Um, you know, the top six in the NCHC, um, holy cow, um, yeah. they're good. So it's going to be a battle. There's going to be more adversity after this break, but more so, you know, they need to tighten up. 
uh, a few things. I think they also need to um, commit more to the grease pan style of Dave Shayek of the offensive zone. Um, I think that's an area that we can see uh, get utilized more, but for the most part, I think this team is sitting pretty good. I think it's time this team needs just to get healthy. They need to rest up uh, both in terms of the injuries, as well as maybe the flu bug that's going around, uh, get hockey after mine a little bit, but come back and be ready to play because Bemidji's no slouch either. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Bemidji, women's hockey, like we had mentioned, a uh, tough weekend for them. Uh, and when I say tough, I mean a nail-biting weekend. Like you mentioned, just you know, one step, you know, one bounce, one whatever, too slow. I do want to start with a positive, though, and it's a player that we've mentioned a couple times in the show, actually ever since the inception, and she's really come into her own this year, and that's Taylor Lind. You know, the confidence that she's starting to display with the puck. I mean, what have you seen from her that has really kind of allowed her to, to really step in, not only in the points column, but being a leader in the way that she plays uh, on the ice? She plays with speed, honestly. She plays, you know, everything. She's thinking the game a step ahead. Um, you know, she's not cheating either. So uh, there's, you know, there's a few complaints I have with the women's squad in terms of some of the little details that they do. Uh, but, you know, she's not like doing a one handed stick flyby. She's actually engaging with both hands on her stick into a puck battle. Um, when she's coming across the blue line with, you know, uh, with a puck on her stick, she's looking for options. And instead of, you know, maybe stopping skating or going half speed, she's taking it wide. She's trying to force the defenseman back. Everything she does, she does at full speed. And I think that's one thing that kind of separates her is that she just has a smart playmaker, but she's creating a lot of her opportunities from her feet. And so I give her a lot of credit for that, um, for just making sure that she plays the game the right way. And that's at, you know, full speed when you're on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. Team leader, 17 points, five goals, 12 assists on the year. Uh, sitting third in the goal tally, Yanina Newland, seven goals, seven assists for 14 points for her. And then Emma Gentry in her sophomore year continues to impress. The team leader with nine goals on the season, 12 points on the year. Mackenzie Borgeray having a great season as well with nine points as well. So um, a lot of Huskies, uh, kind of a pretty even spread as you get down in into kind of the middle of the pack in terms of the points, which is good to see um, players contributing. But like you mentioned, Nick, what were things you liked? Uh, from the weekend against Bemidji State, and what are things that need to be cleaned up as they head to Mankato next weekend? Oh boy! Um, so, <laughs> so I say oh boy because the laundry list of things to clean up is quite long, actually. Yeah. Um, what I liked is you know they're on the offensive uh, side of the puck. You know you can definitely see there's an attempt to play with more possession and not just try to do a one pop gun offense off the rush. So I do like the fact that the Huskies are really trying. Uh, to get a cycle game going that they're really trying to wear down defense uh, units. So um, that's a great positive. Um, they're getting into the dirty areas or throwing pucks on that and they're getting, you know, traffic in front to you, which I think is important. Um, what I need to see improved. Um, a lot of it is just get your head up. Um, this, a lot of this women's team, they're playing either the style that, you know, they're playing just because, I got the puck on the boards and I'm not really thinking, but there's going to be somebody in the middle. So I'm just going to throw the puck there because that's what the structure tells me to do. That's not always the case. Um, they need to play more cerebral hockey. Honestly, is the biggest takeaway. Um, I think they're playing uh, a little bit too passive um, in the defensive zone. I also think of the offensive zone, especially with Lucas pucks, a lot of way too many one-handed stick pokes. They need to get in with their feet, use two hands and, and also don't cheat in a puck too. A lot of times I see them cheating where um, there's a puck along the boards and instead of actually going in and engaging and stopping on the puck, 
Um, they're kind of doing this skate fly by one handed stick. And, you know, to me, that's, that's a team that that feels like they have to cheat because they don't have confidence in their game. Um, you gotta be able to go and engage and win a puck battle. And that means, yeah, you're gonna have to stop your momentum's not going to be there, but be confident. You're going to be able to outrace your opponent or at least create a better opportunity. So, um, those are the big things that I see from this team is that, Hey, you know what? Yeah, structure this, structure that, but you know, open your eyes and you got to make, you have to have your decision of what to do next before the puck's on your stick. Um, and that to me is that they're playing reactive hockey instead of proactive hockey. And that's the, I think, a big stepping stone for this group post uh, the holiday break. Yeah, you sound like you're talking about my men's hockey team, <laughs> the way that we break out some <laughs> some teams. But nonetheless, I, you know, one of the things to kind of go back to, as you mentioned, I love that point about, uh, you know, essentially – engaging in the puck battle and, and being present and staying in the puck battle. I mean, so many things, this could, doesn't matter women's hockey, men's hockey, wherever you're at, you know, you, you can't win games if you're not winning battles or at least engaging in those 50, 50 pucks. And the most important people on the ice, shockingly, Nick, are not the people with the puck. It's everybody, with, the puck. everyone without the puck. And shockingly, the fastest thing that moves on the ice is also the puck. So when you talked about, you know, stopping and making sure you win a battle that's along the half wall, that's in the gray area, just inside the blue line, you win that battle. Sure. You stop, you, 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 you limit your momentum. You're not going to get, like you mentioned, a flyby chip and chase. that's going to turn into a three on one with speed. But nonetheless, if you go in, you engage, you win that battle. And then after you win the battle, you have two players, you know, a centerman and a winger, for example, that come in and fly in and help you supporting the puck after you've won the battle, you can still break out with speed. You can have a weak side defenseman that activates that still gets you up the ice with speed and with numbers, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't have the puck. Like you mentioned, if you're just going to do a flyby, you've lost the puck battle. You're now probably 10 feet outside the zone in the neutral zone and you're out of position. You've got to come back and defend. And then if the play turns back the other direction, now you've got to turn back the other way and transition and try to catch up with your teammates. And you might be the late forward in and hopefully you make a good play supporting, supporting the puck as well too. So they're, there's so much to be said for just winning a puck battle along your boards, especially in your own zone um, or on your half of center ice and just making the play and trusting your teammates a little bit. That also goes back to women's hockey and my men's league team for that matter. Um, but trusting your teammates and trusting that they're going to be there and do their job so that you can support them and make that play as well too. So Nick, we talked about how important it was to beat your Bemidji States, to beat your Mankatos. They didn't get it done in the standings this past weekend against Bemidji. They've got, a chance for vindication against Mankato this weekend. Uh, you know, what's your one key that's got to change, especially on the road? Uh, you got to have more offensive puck possession. Uh, Mankato definitely has the power um, up front to, to put you away. Um, Bemidji, uh, not that they're bad, but they don't have as many weapons uh, per se. Um, so if, you, if you're going to play a good defensive game against Mankato, well, make them defend. Um, again, they need more puck possession. They need more smarter plays in the offensive zone, which means get in uh, there in the fortune. Again, be the person that engages in the puck battle. Even if you lose, even if you lose, if you engage in a puck battle and not just do a flyby, you're at least making them expend energy. And that means if they even come up with a puck in the defensive zone and they're tired, maybe they get to the red, they dump it. Guess what? That's still a win in your, in your 
you know, for you and the puck battle. Uh, if you have to make that unit go off and change, that means you're getting the first touch as long as, you know, your defensemen are fresh or at least can get a change. And then it's back the other way come the Huskies. So that to me, you got to have puck position, get a wear down main Cato um, and their defensive end. If you don't, it's going to be a long weekend for the Huskies. Yeah, you've got, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players uh, with six points or more for this uh, Mankato club coming in. Britton Fleming, of course, the big highlight, the senior. Kelsey King has been a solid player as a junior. Charlotte Akervik uh, on the back end as a junior, uh, tied for second in the team lead in points with 14 points on the season for her. So, And you've got five players over 10 points and uh, a couple of players sitting at nine and eight, so not far behind as well for this Mankato club. And like you mentioned, they're a team that does have a lot of depth and they um, – um, they play well in terms of that scoring touch. And I think a little bit slow to start the season a little bit for Mankato. And I think they've really found their groove as the season has gone along. So um, it will be a good test for this women's group. Like we mentioned, the only Huskies hockey team who is back in action next weekend, the men's team off until December 31st and January 1st of 2022. So Nick, we're going to head on to some NHL news and we're going to talk some Minnesota wild and uh, moreover uh, the talk around the NHL landscape so far. Once again, welcome in, Mr. Nick Maxson. I am Noah Grant. Nick, I also am remiss to uh, remind, as we talk some Minnesota Wild Hockey and NHL landscape, you did have some Arizona uh, Coyotes news. So I kind of figured uh, you've been waiting for your chance here. What do you got uh, as far as some insider scoop, so to speak? Um, are the Houston Arrows back in town? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> So, first of all, uh, you know, Eric McRamilla, who's uh, a very, very good um, uh, TSN analyst. In fact, he's a legal analyst. Um, and also, I forget, there was another reporter that broke this news that said a, a banker, now granted a banker, you know, we don't know who that is, had mentioned that the Arizona Coyotes are for sale. And it is the sale with intent to move to Houston. I'm here to tell you that is complete bullshit. Sorry, it is. Um <laughs> No, but honestly, is there some truth to this? Yes. Um, so we have to understand what's happening with Arizona now to understand why this news is sort of significant, but not that they're for sale per se, right? So with the Tempe, Arizona project, right, um, we got to remind ourselves this project has not been approved yet. And we have to understand also going back with some background that Glendale has said, after the season, you boys are out of here. Um, I'm not convinced that there isn't a good faith conversation that can happen with Glendale if Tempe were to be approved. Now, let's, let's kind of set the scene here a little bit, shall we? So there's been some hiccups in the Tempe proposal, and that's kind of where this sort of news is coming out from. Now, mind you, for those who follow football, which I think most people who listen to us do, um, SoFi Stadium. Um, SoFi Stadium is absolutely gorgeous. For those who don't understand why SoFi Stadium um, is the way it is, uh, meaning it was dug 100 feet below ground level, that was because of airport regulations, because of LAX. Um, when you're coming into LAX on um, that airport, um, if you're coming in through, um, I should say, the, uh, the land side of it, um, the way the runway is set up, um, essentially for SoFi to be as big as it was, they had to dig it down that far because otherwise it'd be too tall and that would be uh, against FAA regulations. So um, SoFi, as gorgeous as it is, that low profile, um, that was because they had to. Um, Tempe is facing some of the same problems with their proposal of the arena's height 
um, is sort of uh, conflicting with some runway traffic. And so um, there's been some some stalling and some some negotiating being done with uh, the Phoenix uh, Sky Harbor Airport, along with the Tempe uh, proposal network. So um, if you're the coyotes and you're seeing this, um, you're thinking, oh, God, I need a backup plan. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't believe officially the Arizona coyotes are for sale. I'm telling you that's BS. However, it is something where if I'm the Arizona coyotes and for whatever reason, whether it's the airport or whether this Tempe project even from the city doesn't even get approved, you need a backup plan. So is there some truth to the fact that there is still a Houston move on the table? Possibly. But is the Arizona Coyotes for sale, as, as we've been saying? I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think this right. is just feeling the process out. I do feel like this is all driven by um, what's developing with the, the Tempe proposal. And again, it's not been approved. There is some large. Now, mind you, when you work with the airport, FAA regulations, they trump everything. Um, it's a safety issue. Um, you know, so and at the end of the day, you're, it's a battle you're not going to win if you're Tempe. So how much detail is in that? I don't know, have the specifics on that. But if you're talking height restrictions and, you know, sort of conflicting of air traffic. Um, now, mind you, that plot of land, gorgeous, awesome. But you either have two options. You're either going to do something with SoFi Stadium. Did you got to dig down? Does it make sense for Tempe to dig down? Is it, it does the construction cost go up for that? Um, you know, what about the building engineering? Those that's way above, you know, my knowledge point, or is it where Tempe's looking at this and going, does this plot of land even make sense for the development we want it? So is it possible this gets struck down? It absolutely is possible. So there's a lot of, you know, moving parts to this story. Um, and is it still possible, you know, Arizona does end up moving. I do think that there is a possibility here, but is it immediate? 100% no. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes are now going to be the Quebec Nordiques. Nick Maxson said it. Uh, <laughs> that's why that's, it's happening. Gary Batman, he's up there. It's happening. Uh, yeah. It's, what a situation, right? Um, Arizona, right. Um, you know, and the, to make matters worse, and I don't know that it makes it any worse, but I don't think it makes it any better. Arizona really sucks this year. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're not a team. It does. That, you, you know. can't link the two together, though. Um, and here's why I say that. Um, there's a plan in place. This team needed a blow up and because they want the draft picks and they know that if they're going to be competitive, um, I can't say again because they really haven't been for a while. But um, <laughs> it's been, what, since 2012, yeah, yeah, it's been a while for them. But they, they need to stop being the doormat of the league to do that. You have to be a little sacrificial, which they are doing this year. And I do think with the management group they have now, I think that there is um, some good. And, and for the way that Arizona plays, I mean, they give wild fits. Um, Alex Terrigny, the, their new coach, uh, who's had success at where he's been, especially up in uh, the junior leagues of Canada. I do think there's some pieces there that you can build on. Um, but again, you know, what do you do as the business side of it to ensure the long-term longevity of this hockey club? That's a whole different ball game um, yeah. you need a home to play you need you need to be able to have your financial straight so the tempe project um is the best way to execute that plan and, and for those who um talk about uh, quebec nordiques ain't gonna happen it's never going to happen at least in about 30 or 40 years um for houston and mind you if the nhl relocates any single team 
there have to be two thirds of the board of governors that have to vote in favor for this. This is not something where uh, an order can literally come in and say, I'm moving a team. In fact, um, I think there was a pretty good story of this uh, about 10 or 20 years ago. I, I forget exactly which team, but uh, I think it was actually um, somebody up that was trying to bring it back to Quebec um, as an investor. And he says, hey, I'm going to come in. I'm going to move this team. And the NHL basically came out and said, screw you. You're not going to tell us what to do with our teams. No way. Right. Um, the, and the thing about Arizona is, the NHL has been very steadfast and very steady and that they want that team in Arizona. Um, granted, does the Houston market, um, is that another target for them? Yes. But I think the league knows, um, especially with Arizona state for the growth of the game, I think they know they need a hockey team there. Um, so if there is a plan that can work there, um, they, they will keep it there. And I think the bigger question is, Noah, does this become, the final straw that breaks the camel's back. If say Tempe doesn't work out, I don't know. Uh, but I do think there may be some serious discussions if it doesn't um, because with Glendale basically kicking into the curb uh, without really a sustainable financial setup that you would have with Tempe. Um, I don't know how the team can be successful. Um, and there hasn't been any discussions that I know um, as far as a alternative site or any of the city that's willing to put them up. I know there's been talk about Phoenix, but it sounds like the city and the team have um, expressed that that's not the best option. So again, the Houston uh, move is still possible, but to me, I still think there's a lot of red tape still to go through to get there. And I still think that they're committed to Tempe if they can get that um, sorted out and that would be their number one option. Yeah, actually, uh, kind of funny, as I was oddly looking at this and looking at the standings in the NHL, one of the few teams, actually, not many teams, actually, in the National Hockey League named after their own state, Arizona, when you mentioned Phoenix, maybe think of the old Phoenix Coyotes, Arizona is one of them. Uh, um, we're going to talk about the West in just a second, Arizona, the worst uh, record in the National Hockey League right now, actually, 5-17-2 with a minus 46 goal differential through 24 games. Um tough we're going to talk about the west in a second uh nick let's do some nhl roundup though and kind of consolidate what we've seen so far why don't we start with the eastern conference and we're going to start to i think from the back end up ottawa i thought actually had a pretty decent start to the season and then uh you know the matt murray stuff uh you got some covid things in there i have really They're injured the crap yes very hurt and uh unfortunately i have fallen down into the bottom there in the 10th spot in the wild card standings if so to speak uh the new york islanders uh following in at number nine actually below the Montreal Canadiens and Buffalo. Um, How is that possible? Don't know that I would have ever thought that. Uh, Nick, are, are you surprised? Uh, uh, I guess between Buffalo, we expected, although maybe not in seventh in the wild card right now, but nonetheless. Uh, Ottawa, we kind of expected, but expected them to make a jump. Like you mentioned, they're hurt quite a bit. Uh, out of Montreal and the Islanders, both of these teams, uh, which is the more surprising failure so far in the NHL Islanders. team? Islanders, the, the Montreal Canadiens lost some key pieces over over the offseason that were, I think, very key to their um, sort of their uh, fairy tale Stanley Cup run. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I emphasize that because that team um, caught it, kind of caught fire and ran with it. Um, I think that structurally the team was flawed. And, and it, did they get some bounces? Maybe that, uh, you know, other teams or maybe, you know, other years in the past Montreal Canadiens got? No. Um I'm not taking anything away that they accomplished, but they were not, I would say, a true contender. 
And that's why I'd say that there was, it was kind of a fairy tale run. And then when you lose guys like Philip Deneau and then the whole offer sheet thing, and then of course everything happening behind the scenes that it's been a train wreck for Montreal um, since uh, essentially this past summer. Um, so that one is not as surprising. I think the New York Islanders one is honestly, because that team has been playing so well in the Barry trots um, defensively. They've been so sound and that's kind of been their biggest weakness this year has been defensively. They can't score. Um, they're just, they're, they seem to be lacking an identity that they've had for the last couple of years. Um, and it certainly looks as of right now, the way they've been playing, um, they're well out of their way to this kind of being almost like a market reset year. Um, I just, unless they get it together soon, their chances of the playoffs are dwindling very, very quickly. Yeah. Tied for fourth worst in the NHL minus 22 goal differential. They're actually tied with the Chicago Blackhawks uh, in a similar spot in the West. Uh, kind of pulling up the middle here, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Columbus. Uh, they're all in there. Columbus and New Jersey, all over 500. It kind of seems like the mark uh, for uh, the playoffs is about a 600 winning percentage on either side, a little bit lower in the West, just a tad, a little bit higher in the East. But uh, you know, the three teams that I think still have a shot, I suppose Columbus is a dark horse in that spot as well too. Um, Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, how what a year that Detroit has had so far 13, nine and three for them, a minus seven goal differential. I uh, pulling up that first wild card spot for them. I know that they played, you know, one more game than a couple of the teams that they're chasing, but nonetheless, we expect them to make a jump. But I think Steve Eiserman, the Iser plan is starting to come into action here, but Nick, I, uh, albeit with Detroit's success before we get into the actual standings of the division for guys that are or teams that are actually in the playoffs right now, Pittsburgh and Boston, Pittsburgh, I think, has kind of been on the downhill slide. They've been missing Evgeny Malkin. They've kind of been the core that is slowly depleting, if you will. Are they the more surprising struggle right now than the Boston Bruins? And if any of these three teams, Boston, Pittsburgh, or Detroit, has a chance to get in the playoffs, who's going to be the team to do it? I'm going to go with the Red Wings. Okay. Honestly. Um, Moritz Sider is an absolute beast in the back end. Um, we know the, the reason why he was such a high draft pick. How Lucas Raymond, man, is, I mean, Detroit was a team that, you know, especially for my age, I'm going to make myself old here, but the, uh, the, the 90s to 2000, I mean, this Red Wing group was one, you were like, it's an automatic playoff bid for them for 25, 26 years straight. So, I mean, they just, they were a, you know, a playoff team consistently every single year. So for them to go through this sort of reset these last five, six years or so has been kind of weird, at least for me as a hockey fan, because Detroit was synonymous with success and playoff success. And, uh, you know, unfortunately with, with Ken Holland and some of the really just idiotic long-term signings of just really bad players really kind of, you know, strung up their, the organization to really do much. So they really kind of hampered them and put them to the spot where they were a couple of years ago. I've always said, and I think we had it up with uh, when Ben Holden was on that, you know, Jeff, uh, people are blaming Jeff Blaschel. I'm like, this is no way in hell the coach's fault. Uh, Jeff Blaschel, I think, is a great coach. But if you look at the roster he's got to work with, it was basically guys that should already be retired and guys who shouldn't be in the NHL. They're too young to play. Um, but now with some of those higher quality draft picks, again, we mentioned those two names. Uh, this team is fun to watch. Um, uh, Eric Rasmussen, I'm thinking Tyler Bertuzzi has been really good. And how about the absolute Lucas steal Raymond. in Lucas Raymond? Wow. Um, and then how about the Carolina kerfuffle with, uh, Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, kind of yeah. getting a little bit of a cheap goaltender that was a colder finalist. Um, so, you know, a little luck maybe with some incompetence 
from the other side, but you know, I think Carolina is fine because, you know, I, I hear they're pretty good this year. So uh, maybe uh, a roll of the dice has worked for Carolina this year, but um, Detroit's building something. As you mentioned, the Iser plan is in full swing. And I do think, you know, they're a team that's on the rise. And I think that uh, they've, they've won what five and six now uh, they're on a little bit of a roll. Um, you can yeah, double check that for me. Yeah. They are six, three and one in their last 10. They've won five straight. So that's what it was. Yeah. So at, at the end of it, I think the Red Wings are the team that's, uh, I think they're a fringe team for sure. Uh, but I think that just the way they've been playing, I think they're playing with confidence. I think, you know, they're playing as a group and uh, with Pittsburgh and Boston, Boston's just old. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they're having some struggles, especially offensively. And, you know, they're with Tuka Rask out of net too. They're not getting, you know, sort of those stealing games that they once had. Um, and then as you mentioned, Pittsburgh, uh, it's kind of been like this for the last, what, probably four years, Noah, would you say with, you know, where yeah. this team is really dangerous up front, you know, they're, they're really just missing, uh, I think, you know, and Sidney Crosby, you know, he's still a fantastic hockey player, but not quite as offensively driven as he has been in the past. So he's starting to show his age a little bit, still a fantastic player. Um, but again, uh, the core around uh, Pittsburgh, as you mentioned, has changed and not a lot of, you know, great offensive depth that they've had. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta remember too, it was sort of like these dark horses, Teddy Bluger one year, and then Jake Gensel that going to contribute to the playoff uh, yeah. success for them. And you take those two plays out of the picture. Are we really saying that Pittsburgh has had as much success as they've had. So um, maybe kind of caught fire in a bottle a little bit, or let's just say lightning in the bottle for a couple of years. So maybe that kind of helped their stock a bit, but I think there's going to be uh, for both Boston and for Pittsburgh, who has been riding um, some big names, say some Patrice Bergeron and again, Sidney Crosby, um, they're inching towards what's going to be some major team changes with some of those names here in the next couple of seasons. Yeah. Ironically enough, Detroit, Boston and Pittsburgh, all six, three and one in their last 10. Uh, Boston, the one thing they do have the upper hand on, they have only 21 games played because they were supposed to play the Islanders a couple of times too. So they do have a couple of games in hand, 25 points on the year for them, 29 for Detroit. Uh, the problem is both of those teams are in the Atlantic division and the top three teams in that grouping are very good. Tampa Bay, 23 games played for them. They're at 32 points. Toronto, uh, 36 points for them. And then uh, Florida uh, pulling up uh, with 37 and a great home record that uh, ah, they're only 14 and one at home, Nick. I mean, who asked, right? Um, actually just oh, missed out on the NHL record um, of all from all people one time yeah one game and it happened to be the Seattle Kraken of all teams that happened yeah. to get the job done there like you mentioned Pittsburgh chasing Carolina uh, the Rangers in Washington Carolina 33 points uh, the Rangers 35 points both those teams with 23 games played uh, Pittsburgh with 24 and then the Capitals uh, one game more than that at 25 uh, pulling up with 36 points and a 720 um, win percentage the East is a little more uh, applicable in terms of uh, where the standings are the only team that I guess is the odd group out in terms of where they're at is Boston. They're at a five, nine, five winning percentage. They have a couple games in hand. So their next couple of games, I think are going to be important to kind of see where they're going to settle out as well too. But uh, Nick, were there any of those top teams you wanted to talk about? I mean, Carolina, I think we expected them to kind of have a decent year. I don't know that we expect them to be a top three, but they've, they've gotten over the worries we had in the off season and their attendance rate has been one of the best in the NHL. One of the few teams that have gone positive in terms of the attendance piece um, post COVID or, you know what I mean? Before 
before all the stuff. Um, the New York Rangers, a pleasant surprise for them. We talked about how young their group is. They're finally starting to generate the Capitals. Apparently, this Alex Ovechkin guy can score a lot of goals still, apparently. Um, and uh, on the other side, Toronto does what they're doing. Tampa Bay looking like uh, a three-peat contender-ish, if you will. Uh, but they've got a good foe in the Florida Panthers who might honestly win a Stanley Cup this year. 7-7-1 uh, winning percentage for them. Nick, out of those uh, top six teams, anybody that's surprising or anybody that you think is much must-watch TV must watch this vlog Panthers, honestly. Um, and are they sort of surprising in a very kind of weird way? A little bit. Um, you know, I say that because of the fallout from the Joel Quinville and the Chicago Blackhawks uh, situation. Um, I think there was sort of an expectation of, okay, now that coach Q was gone, you know, was he sort of the single wrench, you know, turner of their success and uh, with former Minnesota Wild forward Andrew Burnett getting the call and has really, you know, just kept the train rolling. Um, uh, I've talked to Burnett in the past. He's a fantastic human being, knows the game very well. Funny dude if you can get him on a good day. Um, but this team is rolling. They're, they're stacked from top to bottom end and that. I think the key for them this year has been Sergei Bobrovsky, honestly. Um, there were huge question marks uh, his first year, especially about – you know, his performance and what he was uh, getting paid to do at $9 million a season. He certainly wasn't living up to that contract. Um, you know, he definitely is now for sure. They've got quite the tandem down there between him and Spencer Knight. Again, you talk about Alexander Barkov, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau um, on the front end, just to name a few. And then in the back end, of course, you got Aaron Eckblad and, a, and just a privy of defensive corps that are really helping push Florida. And this team uh, plays with a lot of, you know, um, offensive jump. Uh, they love to get in the play. They're just a fun team to watch. And uh, how fun would it be, uh, you know, and this is wishful thinking, it will never happen to see a Tampa Florida Eastern Conference final. Um, those uh, seven games last year were all bloodbaths between uh, the Florida yeah. rivals. And uh, uh, it's been fun watch hockey because, man, they look uh, because they skate so well. Again, they score a lot of goals. And Brodrovsky, again, back to old form when he was in Columbus, um, he's looking fantastic. So uh, up and down that lineup, they're looking really, really good. Yeah, Florida 7-2-1 in their last 10, chased by Toronto, who's 8-1-1 in their last 10, just handed a loss by the Minnesota Wild. Very impressive. And, uh, you know, they were a team that was on a great win streak. As we mentioned, the New York Rangers, uh, they're uh, on a 9-1 and last 10, a six-game win streak for them. That is tied for the best in the NHL with, uh, hey, a couple of teams, the Dallas Stars and the Minnesota Wild, who sit atop the Central. Let's head on over to the Western Conference here, shall we? Uh, let's... Uh, uh, started the rear, um, a minus 20 goal differential. The Vancouver Canucks have totally imploded. Um, oh. uh, Jim Benning's knuckleheads. Uh, yeah. His, uh, his Oliver Ekman Larson move has uh, um, not surprisingly has not paid off. Uh, oh. in, in fact, the Seattle Kraken are ahead of them by two points followed by Los Angeles, who I thought LA was having a decent start to the season. They've really struggled as of late. They're three, four and three in their last 10 uh, Vegas sitting in fifth in that wild card spot with 26 points for them. San Jose at 20. injured, they'll be back. San Jose at 27. Well, they, I, I'm just saying they got, they kind of got to figure it out a little bit here. I should pull up the wild card pieces here. Obviously, they are pushing uh, fourth in that wild card spot, but then you've got Dallas there with two games in hand, as well as Colorado in the same spot with two games in hand. Dallas and Colorado kind of identical, um, and then San Jose in that mix too. So, uh, Nick, Dallas, you know, eight and two in their last 10 winning six in a row. We kind of had written them off. I think a little bit at the start of the season, they're starting to find some form. Are you more surprised? Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention Winnipeg uh, somewhere in the middle down there at 26 point as well points as well too. They're 
they're kind of a middle of the pack team right now. They're not doing so hot. So throw them in the mix, but are you more surprised by the recent success of the Dallas stars or the appearing mediocrity granted, albeit without Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado avalanche thus far. Oof. It's hard because they're both surprising, honestly. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Especially Colorado, with Colorado's plus 14 goal differential, you know? Yeah. Um, the thing about Colorado is, you know, you, you allow uh, Philip Grubauer to walk, after some contract negotiations um, and you thought that, okay, Darcy Kepper is going to come and be your savior. Uh, no. So yeah, <laughs> that's been, that's been a big part of it as, uh, and mind you, my, you know, Colorado also lost some important players in the defensive cores this year. Uh, one being Ryan Graves. Um, I thought he was a really solid uh, bottom four pairing defenseman. Um, so they really kind of lost a little bit of their mojo. <clears throat> so I think they were trying to figure it out. Honestly, they seem to have kind of figured out their back end a little bit, but um, that was surprising in Dallas. Um, they were uh, stunk stinking bad um beginning of the season um you take away honestly Noah, you know the last six in a row um and you go back to their or you know those six wins in a row that puts their uh you know season total for wins uh, down to five they would have been five seven and two oh, sorry yeah six seven and two stars so they were you know below 500 so you talk about you know streaks that can kind of resurrect a season or that were so needed you know this team uh, and Minnesota shellacked them. I think that was the last time they lost a game was to the Minnesota wild. Um, yeah. and they got pummeled in that hockey game. And I think, uh, if I recall correctly, I think it was either Michael Russo where I forget the athletic speed writer's name that covers Dallas. Um, there was a closed door meeting after the hockey game. Um, and they were like, this has got to change. Now, you know, I want to spend a little bit of time in the central division here, Noah, because if you look at Winnipeg at sixth in the division and St. Louis, which is second, it's separated by two points, and yep. that is it. Now, granted, plenty of games in hand between Colorado and Dallas. I get that all that point, but you know, you talk about what a favorable favorable position the Minnesota Wild are in at thirty five points again, winning their six in a row off a very good yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs team. Um, if you can kind of just keep doing what you're doing, uh, plus twenty one of the goal differential, um, you know, yeah. Again, I actually, just, I actually, I actually, I'm going to slow you down here. I actually want to start in the Pacific because I do want to talk about the Wild. Um, I want to roll into them last, if that makes sense. Um, That's fine. <laughs> you're like, you're like this guy. Um, the reason I want, the reason why I point out is I actually think the more exciting piece is actually going on the Pacific right now. Um, and when it I say that, uh, Calgary, what the hell? Um, plus thirty one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was bad. Um, yeah, uh, winners uh, eight, one, and one uh, on a three-game win streak. Um, as impressive as Calgary has been, how about the fact that the Edmonton Oilers are finally the team that we expected them to be? You know, they're finally pulling up that second spot in the Pacific. Would probably be first if it wasn't for this Calgary group. Um, I disagree. Yeah, I sixteen and six, uh, a seven twenty-seven winning percentage. Two of the best players in the world. And, and here's here's why I disagree. They've been fine in the regular season. This team is not going to be judged in the regular season. The Edmonton Oilers are going to be judged by their playoff success. I'm not, no one should be surprised well, for Edmonton being well, sure. this good in the regular season. So, you know, you're, I'm, I hate to, I'm not trying to burst your bubble or anything, but, you know, are, are they looking good? Yeah, they've looked good in years past in the regular season, but it's been when they get to playoffs, that's where they fumbled. Then again, this, this fan base with Connor McDavid. Uh, you know, they want to see playoff success. So yeah, punching their ticket is obviously important. You got to make sure you do that first. 
Um, but to me, I'm not surprised at all that they're sitting where they're sitting. In fact, you know, without Calgary's impressive run, Edmonton would be in first right now. And uh, so at, at the end of it, that's not the most surprising team. How about you look at the third place team and tell me if they should be there? Or not? Actually, I'm going to disagree with you there. I, I don't think Anaheim, Anaheim is as impressive as San Jose has been lately. We wrote this Sharks team off very early in the season. And I think that, uh, you know, you see them, they've got one game in hand and they're three points back of Anaheim. Like you mentioned, Anaheim having a fantastic season, plus 10 goal differential. And, um, you know, how about a guy named Troy Terry, who I know he's cooled off as of late, but really kind of got them to that spot and how he played. But uh, yeah, Anaheim and San Jose, we expected the Pacific to uh, really kind of have a whimper of an opportunity. And we expected maybe Vegas to kind of be the team that's come out of that. Uh, not not so much right now. Vegas still in the hunt, like you had mentioned. But uh, this San Jose group and Anaheim have both been very impressive, as you had mentioned. And, um, you know, when is the last time that we've seen Anaheim? I, you know, occupy a non wildcard spot. I can't, I mean, I know it hasn't been too far, but it feels like it's been a while. Doesn't it? 2017 or 2018. Yeah. Something like that. Um, Also now let's get to the fun. When is the last time you see the Minnesota wild atop the central? I think the same year, 2016, 17, 2017, 18, something like that. The year that they were second in the league and scoring the year that Eric Stahl popped off for a hot 42 40, goals. 42 goals. Yeah. Um, uh, 18 or 19. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, Mikhail Granlund is still on the team. I know that. Um, speaking of Mikhail Granlund, national predators, uh, exactly. Even in the gold diff, uh, how about them five and five in their last 10, uh, sitting, uh, not comfortably, but there <laughs> in second place. Like you had mentioned, it's been a dog fight in the central, uh, St. Louis, uh, kind of been the team that's, uh, pulled away slightly, not really. Um, it's been all Minnesota wild. Let's talk about the wild. Shall we? Um, wow. Six game winning streak what a time to have a six game winning streak to put yourself in this spot atop the central. If you're Minnesota, you know, one thing though, long winning streaks are often accompanied by losing streaks, right. Or tough plays where they go two and five in their next seven or something like that. If you're Minnesota, Nick, what has been working well for this group and how do you prevent something like that, where you're going to lose a hockey game at some point, how do you prevent that where you're able to make it a little bump in the road instead of a, a molehill into a mountain, so to speak? So let's look at last night's game against Toronto as a perfect um, sort of case study, right? So in the beginning of the year, the minutes to the wild were winning games that probably shouldn't have um, given up the first goal, given up leads, having to crawl back. You know, granted, great that they did, right? But yep. You know, I think we talked about it before, whereas that sort of um, game plan was eventually going to catch up with them. Um, Luckily for them, they started to score first and they started to get leads and they started to hold leads and they started to score more than three or four goals. In fact, seven and one night five, um, they started to really put teams away. Um, So it's been complete, especially in this six game winning streak. It's been very complete games. Um, uh, for the front and the back end. Um, to me, what's been working well is that fourth line. Um, Duhame, um, I'm trying to think of the other two there. This is just absolutely terrible. Um, help me out here, Noah. Um, I, um, that it's fourth line. Nick, Nick Bukestad and uh, Nico Sturm. That's right. Um, it, to me, the depth in the bottom six, um, where this team really has, I think, improved so much defensively is – you know, they're playing the offensive zone. They, they motor. Um, they never stop skating. 
Um, for Cam Talbot, he's having to make saves that are from the outside. They're not in the high danger area, so they're really protecting well the middle of the ice. Um, again, that Jeek line when they're back, uh, Eric Schneck, Felino, and Greenway, they've been solid. Um, and, you know, do I have to talk about Kaprizov and Zuccarello and, um, you know, the others that have come in? And, you know, how about this? I can't believe I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get ripped on this, but I don't care. When Victor Rask has been called up, he has lit up the scoreboard. He has. He's how he's about lo- that? He's looked. I, I I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw this out here. Somebody somebody's gonna freak the heck out. Victor Rast has looked exceptional, and when I say he exceptional, has. not even on the scoreboard. Watch the way he plays. The jump that he has had through the neutral zone, his transitional speed, his ability to read and react on plays. This is a guy. I gotta be honest. Uh, you know, I know we've talked about Jordan Greenway as of late and kind of you know the tumultuous season that he's had. Dare I say, if you put them on identical contracts right now, I'm taking Victor Rask. I'm taking him all day, the way that he has played. Um, I just, I've been so impressed with him uh, and the way that he, the way that he's been as of late. And I think that goes back to, yes, he was a poor skater. I think he's been working on his skating. First of all, even when he's been in the press box, he's really devoted time to that. But when we talk about Dean Evison, and I know a lot of people, you know, said that he was hit or miss until, you know, the start of the season. We're not in that locker room. We don't watch film endlessly every day. There are things and players that even when they don't contribute on the score sheet, which like you mentioned, he still has had a great season, you know, last year with Kirill Kaprizov and the like um, half a point per game player. There are things that players do positionally or defensively where even if they don't touch a puck in an entire shift, they put pressure on the opposing team or support the play in ways that, you know, don't really catch the naked eye, so to speak. I think Victor Rask is one of those guys. Is he expensive? You're damn right he's expensive. But nonetheless, I have not said this guy should be in the press box. I, I've been thoroughly impressed for the most part with him. I think Freddie Goudreau has had his moments, but I think in terms of consistency, Victor Rask is the guy you pluck out of there. It's hard to argue with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So with, with Goudreau and, you know, you talk about consistency. How about uh, Kevin Fiala? Oh, goodness. Um, yikes. Um, with he's generating opportunities, which is great. He's not being able to finish them. He's, you know, you talk about being snake bitten. He's like bear bitten. My God. Um, but there are some troubling things with Fiala too. Um, you can tell he's starting to force a little bit. Um, uh, there's been some times where I think he tries to put the game on his, on his back a little bit too much. Uh, you're seeing him make some, uh, pretty nasty turnovers, um, you know, and probably some wrong areas. Now granted I'm ripping on Fiala because, you know, it, it's 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 a symptom of the bigger problem, which is he's not scoring. He knows what, especially what happened this last offseason with his contract holdout, that this is a show me contract. He knows that he's working for his next payday, and he wants to put those numbers up. And so, when you're not getting it, you start to either you know try to force some things that aren't there. Um, you're really trying hard and ready. You can tell he's motivated. I think again, like I guess he's generating opportunities, but there's a fine line between doing enough and doing too much. And I think sometimes he's been doing a little bit too much. Um, but you know, it's great to say that he's, he's definitely playing with some fire for sure. Um, but the other part of that coin is he doesn't have to be, that's the thing about this wild group is that he doesn't have to be the guy. Yeah. And that's, that's the best part. Yeah. Which is great. And I think unfortunate for him is that it comes in a contract year 2.0, if you will. And the whole JT, Miller rumor thing. I've been okay with his play. I mean, I think that he's, I think that he's generating and, and, and like you had mentioned it very 
just not getting a balance. I think his shooting percentage is like 4%, which doesn't matter where you're in the NHL. If you're, you know, a top six forward or top nine forward, that's pretty rare to have a shooting percentage. That's that low. Usually, even if you're struggling, you're sticking around six or 7%, um, which you might not think it's a big difference, but it is a big difference. It's an extra goal or two every week, something like that. Speaking of goals, Nick, and like you mentioned, the wild haven't had to rely on him. How about this 24 games played for this team, right? Only five games, have they been held under three goals this season? And they won one of those games, that game in Anaheim early on in the season. Uh, it was only, uh, I think it was a couple of losses to Colorado and Seattle, that three to two loss in Vegas. Um, and there was one other in there that uh, they scored less than three goals. So you talk about, you know, 92 goals for 71 goals against, um, in fact, why don't we throw in, throw in the league things and see where that uh, compares in the league, shall we? Uh, second, how about that? Second in the National Hockey League goals for for this Minnesota Wild team, trailing the Florida Panthers by one goal. So um, I would have thought you've been trailing that team if you were to like put yeah. money on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ne- next up is Washington at 88. I think that the goals against is where the Wild uh, would like to clean some things up. They are, uh, um, Cal- how about Calgary? 48 goals against for them. Uh, best, in the, best in the league. Wow. Um, I'm looking at Minnesota. They're kind of down in the pack a little bit. They're middle of the pack, maybe like 15th, 16th, something like that. So that's definitely uh, a point to be worked on. Um, certainly that win against Dallas helps them in that differential too. that, uh, that um, seven to two win. But Nick, uh, are we, I, can we call this Minnesota wild team a second round potentiality? Are they, or is this the team that finally, you know, does the thing that the wild fans want to happen that they came oh so close to last year. <laughs> Are they finally Are you the- superstitious because you're not saying it? I'm just asking, man. I'm just asking. <laughs> um if the playoffs started tomorrow, yes. All right. Yes. Um the problem is we're not we're just barely a quarter of the way through the season. Yeah. Um and you talked about there's gonna be ebbs and flows to this team. Um does it appear that this team plays with those kind of high ups and flows. No, in fact, I think they played pretty consistent hockey, which I think if there's any measuring stick that statistics can't tell you, mm-hmm. at least on the surface, right. Um, the analytics skirts and yours are probably like, dude, yeah, we have that. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I really do think that they're playing um, consistently night and night out. And if that is, you know, any solace, that means, okay, you know, one plus one equals two, right. If they right. continue to play it, Right. I, that, was, that was some good math there. <laughs> I know. Um, but if they continue to play that way, you know, then, you know, they should be on the upper hand of it. Right. The problem yeah. is teams are going to get better. You know, does the team uh, with the JT Miller talks, you know, the return or what the wild left to give up to me concerns me on that. Uh, the, um, the better question is if you're Minnesota, center, but, the better question you know, is at the end if... of the day, is it worth the, is it worth the, the rental essentially? Um, and with, more money pinching coming next season with the cap recapture for uh, the Parisi and the Suter contracts. Um, I don't know if that move makes sense. Um, it kind of goes back to the Chuck Fletcher um, ordeal. Was that 16 or 17? Uh, Todd White and uh, uh, what's his name? Well, the one uh, that Martin I go Hansel. back to, Martin yeah. Hansel. Yeah. You know, and the so, question, the question is, if you're in Minnesota, do you want to break this group up right now? I think that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I understand the contract piece, but at the same time, it's, you know, uh, do, do you want, uh, do you want this group to, uh, um, 
uh, essentially, so to speak, uh, break up the boys. I know that we've talked a lot about the, the culture piece and that sort of thing, but uh, nonetheless, the Minnesota Wild, uh, they've got uh, a four-game road swing, uh, Edmonton, San Jose, the Los Angeles Kings, and the Vegas Golden Knights that they're going to change. And like, I, like I said, I don't know that you want to break up this group right now, even with Kevin Fiala's struggles. They they have played well. Um, so Edmonton, they've got, I believe it's Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, pretty akin to what we've seen for the road swings for the Minnesota Wild as of late. I will have to see if they can carry that success against the Edmonton Oilers, who are not surprising, according to Mr. Nick Maxson. So uh, we'll have to see how uh, the team uh, fares up in oil country, so to speak. But Nick, um, I got two more questions for you, and we're running kind of long on the show here. First, what have you thought about Cam Talbot? Has he done what he's needed to do uh, this year so far? Do you want more out of him? And number two, what are your final thoughts on the Minnesota Wild? Anything else to add? Uh, I want to sell a little bit more to Ken Talbot, but I think he's doing what you pay him to do. Honestly. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, came in was, uh, kind of on the resurrection of his career. He was kind of a low risk, high reward signing. And, um, it was a very high reward last year. Um, I think he played out of his mind. He's, I think he's still playing very well. Um, however, as you saw with the wild this last week, uh, playing, uh, Kakinen twice, they know that, uh, I think they're concerned about his workload. Um, and they know they need to get Kacken and going to give Talbot some rest because you're not going to be able to ride him, you know, 85 to 90% of the games. That's just, I don't think yep. Talbot is built for that workload. So I think uh, you're going to have to get more uh, of Kacken involved into these wins. Um, Kacken, again, is, uh, you know, we could go off on a side tangent on that, but I think, you know, he, he's going to have to step up uh, to give Talbot rest because I think if, if Talbot is able to get a few games here and there where he can rest and reset, I think he will be able to replicate last season and uh, where this wild team go. Um, I think for the first time in 21 years, uh, this team is um, a must watch TV, honestly, uh, yeah. with the skill that they have um, again, their defensive core, uh, despite, you know, a little bit of shakiness, just trying to get to know the systems and each other a little bit. I think they look really freaking good um especially after the departure of ryan Suter, i think that was the biggest question mark was who would replace him um duh jones Burdine. um so uh, and again goaltending has been you know solid as they have uh have they've shown so far but again it's it's one thing to say it's nothing to execute it and uh this team just needs to continue to plug away continue to improve and uh continue on their consistent run so uh, but they're exciting to watch and uh, i'm excited to see where this team can go but there's still three quarters of the season left and, you know, barring hopefully, you know, the, they can stay away from the injury bug and some other color protocol terrorism. Um, you know, this team is, is looking like they're going to be a playoff uh, team and hopefully not more than just a first round exit. Listen, the Carolina Hurricanes traded in Delkovich for basically nothing, even though he was a Calder finalist. We have a Calder winner uh, who has 29 points in 24 games. We should probably trade him too. What do you think, Nick? Nine goals, 20 assists. Uh, better ship I think Arizona would pick him up. Yeah, plus 10. Yeah, uh, we can eat half the salary too. That'll be fun. Add it to the Parisian suitor pile, if you will. Um, final thought here, Nick. Uh, Miko Koivu, uh, kind of part of watching the coaching uh, or the management staff as of late. Um, does his number belong in the rafters? Um, I think a little bit far-fetched from Minnesota group, but I do know that it's been 21 years and we don't have another uh, number in the building. So I think if you're going to pick a guy, he's probably the most eligible guy to this point. Does that make sense? Yeah. So people forget that in hockey, you know, your numbers retire for two reasons. One, you're on ice conduct and you're off ice conduct. 
Yep. A lot of the times it's on the on-ice conduct, right? Mika Koivu is going up because of his off-ice conduct. Um, he was a leader on this club for so long. Um, fantastic human being to talk to. I've met him many, many times. He's an absolute saint and a joy to talk to about the game, about him. He's just a normal guy. Um, and I think, you know, as, as Michael Russo very eloquently wrote uh, about the announcement and more so what Koivu was seeing from a management role, you know, and how it just, it's so different to have that perspective and how now after him not being re-signed after Bill Guerin came in and as a player, yeah, it hurts. But I think now that he's been given sort of that, you know, look into, especially how this team's playing now and uh, you know, where they were, I think, I think it's easy to see. And, and I think he did mention that in the article that Russo wrote that I get it. Um, and the fact that he handled that with class on um, the fact that, you know, again, he, he's still back with the organization, his number is going up because essentially he was the heart and soul of this team for 15 years. Um, yeah. again, if you're the hockey purist, maybe, um, wasn't the most electric maybe on the ice, but, um, and I don't know, no, you necessarily retire a number because, you know, you don't have one for 20 years, but do it, does the organization value character? Does it value a, a person that, you know, puts, you know, their team first. Yes. And if that's the case, that's why Mikrokovi's number goes up in the rafters. Yeah. And I certainly think when you think back to, you know, sitting at home with a cup of hot cocoa during Christmas with your family back in 2008 or 2012, whose name is always there on that Minnesota wild roster, right? It's Miko Koivu. And, you know, like you mentioned the face of that franchise for, you know, the better part of 15 seasons and a captain for 11 of them. And I definitely, you know, when I, when I say that, I think, you know, I, there's a lot of people that statistically are going to say, well, why him, you know, why, why is he the guy? But, you know, it, it certainly, certainly don't have a problem with it. You know what I mean? And I think it's hard. We talked about this, you know, in the off season to see someone else wearing number nine after Miko Koivu. I think the only one that uh, maybe, and I could be wrong. Um, Pascal Dupuis, maybe, but I think he might have Pascal only... Dupuis, yep. yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, I, I, you know, Miko Koivu has kind of been the guy um, and definitely had a lot of success. Unfortunately, never raised a cup, but uh, like you mentioned, a uh, big piece of missile wild franchise and still, a big piece of this group long after his playing career. So excited to see what the Minnesota wild have in store men's hockey for St. Cloud state off until December 31st and women's hockey back in action this weekend in Mankato for a couple of games. Nick, you got anything else to add or are we, we heading out of here? Yeah, we're going. All right, uh, Nick, it's a pleasure to have you back here. I uh, excited. You can also catch Nick and I uh, on MNCAA and the soda pod. I uh, excited to kind of do that a tandem thing as well. You can hear some more about St. Cloud state hockey uh, recapping the North Dakota weekend as well for Nick Maxson. I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den.